We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Peter, and the second chapter, the book of 1 Peter, and the second chapter, and I will be reading and then preaching this morning on verses 18 through 25. That's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud God's word this morning. Here Peter writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or a model so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness this morning, bringing us together for worship in your providence. And we would ask now for the work of your Holy Spirit this morning, that he would be our guide and teacher. He would show us the truth of this passage and grant us understanding of it and Help us to apply it to our lives and circumstances in such a way that you are honored and the Lord Jesus Christ receives all the glory. We ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we return to 1 Peter chapter 2 and to the subject of our willing submission to God. Our willing submission to God. To God, a submission which is rooted in our understanding that God is in control of all things, even those things which bring us difficulty and suffering. A submission that God works through us as we follow the leadership of the Blessed Holy Spirit. For as we submit to Him, as we bear witness to Him, we discover the grace that we need to stand before an evil and wicked society. We find the strength that we need to persevere even when faced with insults and opposition. For truly, if we are living godly in Christ Jesus, we are not unlike our master who, as we'll see from our sermon text this morning, was cruelly treated and abused by others as he faithfully bore witness to his father's truth. And yet, Christ was highly rewarded for his soul's travail. Christ became to us, Christ earned the place 
of being our chief shepherd and overseer of our souls. And so as we live our lives in quiet submission to God's appointed institutions, which we considered last Sunday, and as we live in willing and voluntary submission to one another, honoring one another as image bearers of God, and as we fervently love the brotherhood of which we are now a part, we should keep in mind that God has called us to submission. And of course, in submitting, God has also called us to suffering. We should be willing to model what it means to be a submissive, submissive servant of God just as Christ left us a model of submission as he faithfully suffered under the will of his Father while he carried out our redemption. Now, of course, it goes without saying this morning that if you are not a believer, you know nothing of this submission of which Peter speaks here in 1 Peter chapter 2. For First, if you are an unbeliever this morning, you have yet to recognize the purpose for which Christ himself submitted to the demands of God's justice. You cannot yet see with spiritual eyes why the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ were necessary. In fact, if you are an unbeliever, the submission and death of Christ makes very little sense to you at all and it has no hold on your conscience. It has no influence on your decisions. And as a result, you remain in darkness. As a result, you remain in ignorance of the good news of the gospel, which is the fact that Christ's willing submission through his death, burial, and resurrection is the means through or by which God saves guilty sinners like you and me. And until you come to see this, to spiritually long for the merits and the rewards of Christ's submission to be applied to you, you cannot see, you cannot understand the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for sinful mankind. And if you are in that lost position this morning, may you ask God today to reveal to you through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit what these things mean. In fact, when Peter confessed in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of the living God, Jesus responded to Peter with these words, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. And so given that that is true, if you're an unbeliever this morning, cry out in prayer to God today. Ask him to grant you the knowledge of what Christ has done through his submission for the saving of needing souls. For no one else but God can reveal these things to you. Then secondly, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you know nothing of the experience of submission of which Peter is referring to in our text because you are not in possession of the Holy Spirit. 
who makes this type of submission possible. For as long as you are devoid of the Spirit's presence and power in your life, you may look on the submission of Christ and in some degree or measure be curious, but you will not know the glorious reality of submitting freely to God out of genuine love yourself or of submitting to others as an expression of how God has given you a love and commitment to them without God's work in your life. So unbelief not only keeps us in ignorance as to what spiritual submission involves, but it also makes it entirely impossible to experience its influence and its power in our lives. And yet through the saving grace of God, through the powerful working of faith in us by the Holy Spirit, God can cause us to know to really understand, to really appreciate, to be humbled deeply by what Jesus Christ has done. And to desire to obey his commandments, to please him and to live after the model of Jesus Christ. And of course, this brings us to where we are in our text this morning. For having discussed already our duty to submit to those institutions that God has appointed, our duty to treat everyone with respect as God's image bearers, our duty to love the brotherhood, our duty to honor the emperor or the king by acknowledging his God-given role and his right to our prayers, Peter now presses this need for spiritual submission even further than he did before. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle Peter does this here in our text by first addressing those persons who would have had the most trying circumstances in this area of submission. He addresses those individuals who were servants or literally slaves, those who were under the yoke of physical servitude. For many of Peter's readers were not simply working for other people in an employer-employee relationship like you and I do, but they were under the ownership of other people. They were oftentimes subjected to mistreatment and abuse from their unbelieving and ungodly masters. And yet Peter begins here in verse 18 with this exhortation. Notice it. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle masters, but also to the unjust. Needless to say, what Peter is commanding here wasn't easy to do, especially in those cases where good servants were subjected to serious injustices by bad and cruel masters. And yet Peter's instructions here are profound, to say the least, and they are profound for several reasons. First, they are profound because they call upon us to willingly submit to whomever God has appointed over us, regardless of what we perceive about their character. 
regardless of what we perceive about their character, but rather what determines whether we submit to others is God's purpose for us, not what we think about the master and the master's character, but what we understand about God's purpose for us. In fact, the decision as to whether to submit for slaves wasn't their own decision, but it was to be determined by God's providence instead, for God is the one who directs our steps. And in this case, Peter did not hesitate to call upon those within his readership who were in physical slavery to submit even to evil and unjust masters. For in either case, whether they were good masters or evil masters, these believers needed to display their confidence, even under the injustice of slavery, that God was fully in control of their lives and circumstances. And that they were devoted to obeying God's command to honor everyone, as Peter had commanded back in verse 17, regardless of whether they were honored in return. Our honoring them is not dependent on whether they honor us. Our honoring them is dependent upon what God has called us to do. The purpose that God has for our lives. And so Peter's command here to submit and to even be respectful to unjust masters was radical, even by our standards today. In fact, today, all we can think about is our rights. All we can think about in the workplace in many contexts is employee rights. And yet God used the submission of his saints under difficult circumstances as a powerful witness in the first century. Then secondly, Peter's instructions here are profound, to say the least, because Peter clearly reveals that when we do endure the right way under injustice, when we are quick to obey God, regardless of the kind of treatment that we receive from men, you and I can be certain that we will know and experience God's grace. We can know that. We can be confident of that. For Peter writes here in verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 2, for this is a gracious thing or a thing that brings down the sustaining grace of God when mindful of God, notice that statement, when we are mindful of God, his sovereignty, his control, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And of course, this should be a great encouragement to us for what we all need whenever we are living under circumstances that are difficult, whenever we are dealing with responses from people that are less than right and just towards us is grace. We need grace to hold up under suffering. We need grace to speak and to respond wisely, and especially when we or others are being unjustly treated. And here in verse 19, Peter assures us that even in those circumstances, and no doubt the circumstances of many of these slaves were, were very hard, and maybe your circumstances are very hard, even in these circumstances, we can discover and enjoy God's grace to endure. We can find in the midst of those circumstances that God's grace is 
sufficient. Sufficient. For how else could Peter say here in the beginning of verse 19, this is a gracious thing, unless there is a divine purpose behind the sufferings that we are called to endure. And therefore, every time we suffer, every time we face mistreatment and injustice as we are doing good, it is for the purpose that we might see, that we might know that God is gracious. And let me apply that to your circumstances today that you're living through right now. Every time you are suffering, it is for the purpose that God has for your life. It is so you and I can learn that God has placed us in our circumstances in order that we can know his care to a greater extent and to a greater degree than we have ever known it before. Pastor, why is this happening? Why am I suffering? Why am I mistreated? Why am I abused? It's not because things are out of control. It's because God is in control. It's placed you in those circumstances that you might experience to a, a greater degree, to a greater measure, to a greater depth, his sufficiency, his grace for you through those circumstances. And so in profound ways, Peter instructs us here in a context that really reaches beyond the relationship of Christian servants and masters to see our sufferings as opportunities to grow in grace. To grow in grace, to see things, yes, even our difficulties through spiritual eyes. And to learn to say, this is a gracious thing. What I feel, what's happening to me, the pain, the agony that I'm experiencing, this is really a gracious thing because it's teaching me about the grace of God. It's causing me to look more and to rest more and more each and every day in God's all-sufficient grace. Oh, dear believing friend, know with certainty that the God of all grace, the God of all grace is, is with you during your times of suffering, during those times when life and circumstances that you face seem unjust and cruel, for he is working in those circumstances. He is working through your obedience to him within those circumstances in a gracious way. Remember those words, this is a gracious thing. And of course, when we, begin, when we begin to see our sufferings in this context, we can understand in a greater and clearer way how suffering for his name in obedience to Jesus Christ is a great honor. A great honor, a great privilege. How suffering for Christ, while it may bring temporary discomfort and tribulation for us, is much to be preferred than suffering for our own sins. In fact, we should never view the sufferings that we endure for Christ in the same way as those sufferings which come upon us due to our own disobedience. Sometimes we do suffer because of our own deeds, our own disobedience. For when we rightly suffer for our own misconduct or for our own sinful 
wrongdoings. There's, there's nothing commendable about those sufferings, nor is there any immediate relief or comfort in those things, oftentimes, although God is still gracious even in them. But when we suffer for submitting to Jesus Christ, our God, the God of all grace is sure to reward us for it. For Peter writes here in verse 20 of 1 Peter chapter 2, For what credit, or better yet, what reward is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing. Notice the language. This is a gracious thing in whose sight? In the sight of God. Therefore, beloved, as we suffer, and there will be times when we will suffer as we actively witness to this world, as we serve in various stations of life that God has placed us in, let us be confident that we do not suffer in vain. We do not bear the mistreatment of others outside of God's sight or outside of God's providential care of us as a loving father. Rather, as Peter states here in our text this morning, our suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Because by his own sovereign design, God sees his own purposes being worked out in us. And that purpose ultimately is to drive us to Christ. To drive us Christward to direct us to the one who suffered even more than you and I have or will ever have to suffer in this lifetime so that we can find in Jesus our true comfort and our true strength at all times. And of course, it is to this truth that Peter now calls our attention here in our sermon text this morning, for Peter points us here, in verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, to where our comfort is found, and that is in Jesus Christ. Notice the focus that Peter has now. He writes, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or literally a model so that you might follow his steps. Therefore, brethren, in the midst of your suffering, when you are being abused and mistreated, your, your first instinct as a believer, your first reaction as one who savingly knows Christ should be to look to and to fix your thoughts upon him. Upon him. To see Jesus as the one who suffered as no man ever has to accomplish what no other man possibly could to focus on him as the one who suffered for you so that you would be freed from that suffering which lasts for eternity. To see him as that one who became a model for you of one who not only suffered in obedience to God, but who was rewarded for his soul's travail. And notice here in the rest of our text that Peter bids us to consider how Jesus suffered how Jesus suffered. 
to consider how Jesus, under his intense sufferings, entrusted himself wholly to God, completely to God, without reservation and hesitation to God, as God fulfilled his purposes through him. How did the Lord Jesus suffer? Well, first, brethren, let us notice that Peter declares here how unjust it was that Christ at the hands of sinful men was forced to suffer to be severely punished for that which he did not do, for that which he was entirely and completely innocent of. For Peter reminds us here in verse 22 that Jesus was completely innocent and did not deserve to suffer at all. For Peter says here that Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. For in every sense, in his actions, in his speech, in his conduct before God and others, Jesus was sinless, holy, and undeniably righteous in every respect. And yet, he suffered. He suffered. Is it surprising then that we as his people, even though we might be righteous in the situation, would suffer as well? Are we unlike our master? Do we deserve anything different? Jesus suffered. It pleased the Father for his own redemptive purposes to bruise Jesus, according to Isaiah 53 and verse 10. And Jesus submitted to what his loving Father had appointed for him in terms of the covenant of redemption. And Jesus submitted to the Father with calmness and confidence and grace. In fact, let us notice here in verse 23 that Peter describes our Lord's demeanor while in the midst of suffering so cruelly, so unjustly at the hands of his accusers. For Peter writes here that when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile back. When Christ suffered, he did not threaten but he continued entrusting himself to him, to God the Father, who judges justly, unlike sinful, rebellious men who conduct themselves unjustly. Of course, with these words, Peter gives us not only an amazing portrait of Christ, as one who sweetly submitted to the will of God, do we sweetly submit the will of God. A portrait of Jesus is one who sweetly submits to the will of God, but Peter also points to Christ as a model of how you and I should respond during our appointed times of suffering and abuse as well. For when we are reviled, we should not think it our duty, we should not even think it our right to revile back to lash out and return in anger. Because to strike out verbally at others simply because we ourselves are mistreated serves no gospel purpose, nor does it reflect a heart that is fully and quietly submitted to God. No, when you and I are reviled, when you and I are insulted, when you and I are verbally abused as Jesus Christ was, we should respond with grace 
we should respond with self-control, leaving the matter entirely in God's hands, knowing that the thing that truly matters is not how we're treated, but the fact that in the Father's eyes we are accepted. And that our suffering, which comes from God's hand, is serving his greater purposes for all of us. For when we know that we have God's acceptance through Christ, when we know that there is a glorious purpose even behind what we're called to suffer, what does it matter how men treat us? What does it matter how men revile us? What does it matter if men speak evil and falsehood against us, if we already possess the Father's smile upon our lives? Brethren, there's no reason to be angry and to revile back. There's no need to retaliate or to threaten those who misuse or mistreat us. No, trust God to deal with the matter. Leave it with God. Look instead to the certain hope, the steadfast assurance that we all possess in Jesus Christ. For consider, dear believer, dear child of the living God, what Christ, who suffered greatly, has done for you. For you. Christ, according to the Apostle Peter here in verse 24, bore himself our sins, your sins, in his body on the tree. Meaning that Christ took the punishment that our sins, that your sins, that my sins deserved. He painfully bore in his own human body what divine wrath demanded as the penalty and the consequence for sin. And Christ did so experiencing genuine human agony. His pains were real. His agony was real but also knowing that he was freeing us from sin's condemnation. That with every blow of that hammer, with every vile word that was spoken against us, he was freeing us, releasing us, so that we could do as Peter states here at the end of verse 24, to die to sin and to live righteousness. In fact, I intend to spend more time, Lord willing, next Sunday on this very verse, verse 24 of 1 Peter chapter 2, drawing out slowly and deliberately to the best of my ability what it meant for Christ to actually bear our sins in his own body on that tree and what it means for us to die to sin and live to righteousness. But for now, let us be assured that Christ's sufferings purchase for us what we need to live and to suffer for him. For it is enough now, my dear friends and brethren, for us to simply know, to simply be assured this morning of what Peter writes to us here at the end of verse 24, and that is that by his wounds, by his stripes, by those stripes inflicted upon him, you and I have been healed. 
We've been healed. Completely, wholly, entirely healed. For what enables us to suffer and to suffer willingly and bravely for Christ in the face of opposition is this knowledge, this steadfast spiritual assurance that through the blood of Christ, through the powerful blood of the innocent, perfect Lamb of God, we've received spiritual healing. Because we've been truly healed, healed in a comprehensive sense, in that Christ has made us spiritually whole and well, we can endure all things. We can endure all things by the strength of God's grace. We can be certain that regardless of what we are called upon to endure, we are safe in the care of our shepherd and overseer. He is our pastor. He is our shepherd. He is our overseer. He earned that position through his suffering. He deserves that position because of his righteousness. He will not fail to fulfill that position in our lives. For as Peter states here in the closing verse of our text, verse 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2, we were once straying like sheep. Can you identify with that? We were once straying far off, roaming freely, rebelliously, going in the direction of danger. We were once straying like sheep. We were once spiritually unwell and living alienated from God, but now we have returned. Because of our own wisdom? No, because of His grace. Because of his work in our lives, we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. And through his obedience, Christ is our great shepherd. And through his reigning power, Christ is controlling, he's overseeing all that we're experiencing and all that we are enduring in our service to him. Therefore, let us not draw back in unbelief. Let us not draw back in fear when we are called to suffer when we are called to endure hardships as a Christian, let us not question whether it seems right or whether it seems appropriate for us to suffer at all. Sometimes we do that. We say it's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It's so unjust. Let us not question those things. Because if it is an honor to suffer for Christ and his grace is sufficient in every sense imaginable, who are we to be discontented? Who are we to question God's purposes? No, let us think upon Jesus, who is uniquely qualified to bring comfort to us. For no one understands our true needs under suffering and under scrutiny as Jesus does. No one is better qualified to be the wise overseer and tender shepherd of our souls like Jesus. For he knows what is best for us. Brethren, we can never go wrong. We can never go astray 
by submitting to him. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus this morning. What a powerful, moving portrait we see in Scripture of the Lord Jesus. Even in the hymns that we have sung together today, we've heard the message of his suffering and all that he has done for his people. These portraits in the Word and in sacred song move us deeply. They bid us to see Jesus as the answer to our needs. They bid us to see Jesus as the model for our suffering, as the one who gives us sufficient grace and strength. And so regardless of what we're going through, let us be confident that it is in your will through Christ Jesus and that Christ as our under-shepherd, as our overseer, is at work in us accomplishing his good work. And in the strength of those assurances and in the power of the Holy Spirit, let us go forth into the world and live confident, brave, and boldly as your people. Not ashamed of the call to suffer, but being willing to suffer for the gospel's sake. Being willing to suffer for the name and the honor of Jesus Christ. Help us this morning to see these things. And as I have appealed this morning in the message to those who may be outside of the Lord Jesus Christ today, to those who are not Christians, I would ask that you would grant them, Father, that knowledge that only you can give of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and why his suffering was so necessary and so sufficient for the salvation of sinners. Grant repentance and faith to those who are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Do all things for your glory. Help us, dear Lord, to receive your word today. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.